0: Hey everybody, happy new year, and welcome to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. And if you are hearing this right now, then that means that the Earth has not been wiped out by a meteor strike, and I can officially congratulate you on surviving 2020. Great job, great job, team. Okay, Luke Kappa and I recorded this episode on December 30th right after we got off the mountain and we then walked into Blister HQ here in Mount Crested Butte to talk about some of the skis we've been testing recently, and then we talk about some of the most surprising products of 2020, as well as some of the standout products of 2020. From there then, since this episode drops on January 1st, 2021... We thought we'd offer a few gear predictions for the new year, and then, as always, we wrap up by talking about what we're celebrating. So, that is what we have on tap for you today, and let's get to it. Luke Kappa, it is Wednesday, December 30th at 5pm. We are here recording our last Gear 30 episode of 2020, and... Assuming that the world doesn't end in like the next 36 hours or so, people will be hearing this on January 1st of 2021. We are so close to making it out, well, to making it out of the year of Ellsworth as someone once declared 2020 to be. And, you know, very early on in 2020, I'd like to point out that didn't work out so so hot. The year of Ellsworth turns out, maybe not like if we had to do an objective review of, you know, say the last 2020 years, if we just kept it to, you know, AD or the common era. I don't really know that 2020 um, is not making the podium.
1: I think I said it before when I think it's just a sign that companies need to go back to lightweight skis that are super tapered. No. Um because obviously, when you don't do that, a global pandemic starts. What a year it's been. And, you know, I think we're
0: well aware of the challenges and the worst parts of 2020. There have been some good parts. And, you know, I'm I am grateful for those. But yeah, mostly, I think like a lot of us, I'm I'm actually like, honestly, we were skiing today and I was like, don't blow out your knee today or something to like like we just let's get clear of 2020 you know so i don't know anyway the year of ellsworth what a year i've also recently really gotten to like kind of starting episodes of gear 30 by talking about you know you and i didn't have anything weird delivered to my house this week for you but i did just ask when we were doing a little bit of a sound check I asked one of my go-to questions when I do this with people, which is, have you eaten any food today? Your answer was no. And it is now five o'clock,
1: 5 p.m. on Wednesday. What's going on here? Um, my sibling, two of my siblings are in town. And I mean, that, that's not like a great excuse, but my schedule recently has been wake up at six, work, like the past two days, mount a bunch of skis. Email a bunch of people, ski from like one to four, and then eat dinner as my sole meal. And honestly, like it's worked out better than I expected. Mostly I haven't been drinking enough water, which has been bad. And it coincidentally coincides with uh, like I just spent a week in Wisconsin at home doing nothing, sitting in a cabin and eating and drinking. So probably not the worst time to eat a single meal
0: ah, <laughs> each day. It's like a quasi-fast for you.
1: Yeah. I, I would say me, the way I tend to equalize my weight, it tends to stay pretty normal. But when I do get go on the heavier or lighter side, I wouldn't say the way I go about balancing it out is the healthiest option. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I feel fine overall. I'm still skiing way faster than you. So, I don't think food matters really talking shit
0: in the <laughs> last episode of Gear 30 this year. Well, today was the first day you and I have skied together in quite a while. In like a week and a half or so. Yeah. yeah. And I, in my defense, I was on a new ski today, which I am. So was I. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't figuring yours out. Yeah. Which we will talk about. Actually, let's talk about a couple of the interesting things that we have been on. Well, since our last episode, one of the most interesting for me is yet again, is a ski by Renown. You were the first person at Blister to put time on the Endurance 88, and you were saying some of this stuff, but I actually spent an entire day on the Endurance 88 doing nothing but nuking groomers with Crested Butte royalty Rob Dickinson, who was on a Head Monster 83, which he just got for Christmas, and that was a little bit of a recommendation we were able to make. Is that a gift from Sydney? It was a gift from good, Sydney. Good job, Sydney. Yeah, good job, Sydney. Yeah, we were just absolutely nuking groomers and once again, it was honestly I had the pretty much exact same experience that I had a couple years ago on the renowned Endurance 98 where I was like I can't believe how hard I'm pushing this thing right now. It's it's still crazy. And in fact, I think this is the craziest, most true marketing speak that we've come across in over a decade. Like, again, I know we've talked about this. It's just worth reiterating. It all sounds like total BS. When you see the slick little videos, you're like, yeah, yeah,
1: whatever. It's totally true. Yeah, they're they're one of the few, like a, a whole line of skis that can be accurately called unique. Um, yeah, that, I, I really like the Endurance 88. Um, I talked about it on I think the last episode. And the interesting thing with that ski is it's not as wildly light as the Endurance 98. Yep. The 184 Endurance 88 is about 1950 grams. So, not a super light ski but my main takeaway is that it combines like all the best elements of a lighter ski without really any uh, many of the downsides like the swing weight i would say feels lighter than it should be for how much that ski weighs it feels really quick but it behaves like a heavier ski when you're skiing it fast like it feels much smoother and more composed than it should and yeah i it's it's funny because I feel like when you first skied the 98, you were like getting mad at it because you're like, I, this, this shouldn't behave like this. I can't bend it. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're fun skis. So one question I had,
0: because, you know, we're, we're skiing and we're skiing off of paradise. And it was at this point, things were pretty, pretty scraped off where you're like, I really want this ski to like hold an edge. And I was jealous because Rob, I'm like, you are on perfect ski right now. So, you know, I'm like, kind of like, yeah, this lighter ski is going to kind of kick up or something. And we just kept banging out laps down paradise. And it was like, wait, this is holding. And then it was funny. I told Rob that I, I sort of forgot, like I should have gone back and read my endurance 98 review first, but I remembered on like the fourth lap, I said the exact same thing in my endurance 98 review that it's like, I finally stopped trying to like muscle the ski and like chilled out. And, you know, given the whole non Newtonian polymer element of this, it's like, yeah, pushing harder.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's like. Uh, what's the the Greek myth of like the guy that pushes the boulder up the Sisyphus? hill? Sisyphus? Yeah, yeah. It's like there's, there's not a whole lot of, at a certain point, there's not a whole lot of reward of like trying to bend it because it's just going to push back. Yeah. And so by the like fourth lap, it was
0: like, oh, right, I forgot. I started to relax. And the one thing I will say, and I'm curious if you've had this same experience, if I was going to cite a criticism of this, I found myself like, I sort of had to just chill out and be along for the ride as opposed to really like working the ski into like, now I'm going to make snappier, shorter turns or big, longer radius turns. It's like, I finally, I told Rob, I was like grunting on every carved turn. Like I was in a squat That's exactly what you said about the 98. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it turns out I should read my old reviews. And then I finally stopped that, but I did feel a little bit like, okay, this isn't a ski that I'm just totally working around everywhere. Did you, cause I know you've said that you like the endurance 88, maybe more than the 98 Mm -hmm. and I'm not seeing so much difference here yet.
1: Yeah. My main thing is that the endurance 88 has a slightly tighter side cut radius. Um, and the thing that I've noticed with most renowned skis is that while I can pretty comfortably make big turns at low edge angles like they're not, not or at least the endurance skis are not hooky if you are carving them hard you kind of need to stick to that side cut radius um, and I like if I'm going to carve hard I like carving tighter turns like I'm not carving super G turns at su- Drew Kelly edge angles <laughs> um, so yeah I I do think there's like you can't bend it into really tight turns you can make pretty long comfortable relaxed turns um, but I think I like that 88 because that the radius that it encourages is a little snappier, and I also find it more energetic. I'm not sure why, but maybe it's just that tighter radius. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting ski, and I I think I like it off piste even more. And I honestly, we literally did not go off piste
0: the entire day, and we were just having a blast. And so I've yet to ski the thing in moguls, but it it was just. And I don't disagree by with anything you just said, by the way. I think that all kind of checks out and it's fascinating. It is just yeah. fascinating. And I would not, I would a hundred percent not believe if I was listening to this podcast right now, I would not believe us if I hadn't skied it. And it's just like, it is some sorcerer
1: yeah, shit. Yeah. So we'll be, I think, posting that full review relatively soon. Also skiing the Atlas 80, which is much more piece-specific. The renowned Atlas 80, yeah. Um, And that one has a much tighter radius, much less rocker taper, and I'm still kind of figuring out that ski. We also just got... They're doing kind of a a limited run of Citadel 114s. We skied a prototype last year that was very, very light for its size. Um, Really fun, easy, uh, really good backcountry pow touring ski. This one is it's a maple core and it's got two sheets of metal in it and it's by far the heaviest renowned ski we've skied. It's over 2,300 grams for I believe it's the 186 centimeter length. So, that'll be interesting. I got my first like a very brief day on it the other day and it's one that I'm not like, I don't have it figured out yet but I'm very mostly interested in skiing it in some like deep chop because um, the combination of a heavy... Renowned construction with their vibe stop material is a very interesting concept. And the Citadel 114 is like pretty rockered, almost a twin tail, like pretty playful design otherwise. And that combined with a potentially stable construction tends to be something I like. So stay tuned for more on that one.
0: Okay. Moving on from Renown, what do you want to talk about that you have recently been on?
1: So, the mountain, we've been getting some pretty consistent periodic storms. More of stuff on the mountain is opening every day. And I can justify bringing out some wider all-mountain freestyle skis, which I'm very excited about. In um, the past two days, I've been on the new Sego Bighorn 106 and the new Forefront Devastator both of which I'm really liking. Uh, The Bighorn this year, they added uh, an additional layer, or a couple layers, I think, of carbon and rubber around the middle of the ski. Um, So, basically, uh, in terms of specs, it got a little bit heavier. Still not some super heavy ski, but um, basically maintains, so far, everything I liked about the old version. Carves really well for what it is. Still really playful and maneuverable, but I was... Pretty much able to ski as fast as I wanted down like international after like a five-inch day. So, lots of chop, tons of stuff to jump off of, which is my favorite thing in the world, I think. And yeah, I think they managed to make it touch more stable. Didn't lose much of the playfulness or maneuverability. So, I'm looking forward to skiing that more. And the new Devastator has been kind of a surprise. Um, basically, it got a lot lighter. The average weight for our pair of the 184 centimeter is like 1980 grams. The old one was like close to 2200. It used to be a pretty heavy ski, um, but I've been really psyched on how hard I've been able to push it, especially for how light it is. So that's a plus. It's also way lighter in the air. Um, also, I think a lot poppier too. Might just be the weight, but so they made it more playful. They made it quicker. It's quite stable for its weight and I think it carves much better than the original. The original, like I skied it after you had skied it a decent amount and so it wasn't like a fresh tune, but it was a little sketchy to me on like scraped off sections, um, just didn't have the... It's a reverse camber ski, it's still a reverse camber ski and those tend to not have that like the instant bite of a cambered ski. but. Really predictable on scraped off stuff and like in anything remotely edgable. Like, I've been able to lay it out, lay it over very hard. Um, it's got like, a, I think our pair is minus 4.7 from centimeters, the mount point, but can drive it quite hard through the shovels. Still really balanced. Um, yeah, overall, I think it's going to be a really fun, versatile all mountain freestyle ski.
0: And the question I put to you is, Given the new weight and given how psyched you are just on the overall performance of the ski so far, is this now a ski that you would consider for 50
1: 50 use? Yeah, I'd see no reason why not. Like, it's for me personally, I don't know if it's just because it's a nice number, but like 2000 yeah. grams tends to be what I look for in like a true 50 50 ski. And Devastator's right around that now. Um, so far, it's been very versatile. And that's also what I look for in a 50-50 ski. So, yeah, I mean, if you're someone who, a playful-ish skier who wants something to use in and out of the resort, I feel like a strong case can be made for that ski now.
0: Okay, so that's the Forefront Devastator. What else do you want to talk about?
1: Um, there's one that I can't explicitly talk about. It's a uh, new yes. ski from Salomon. Showed up this morning, yep. mounted it. Five hours ago, skied it today. I really, really like it. And we'll just say more once we're allowed to. Allowed to say more. Um, on the much skinnier end of the spectrum, um, we're still skiing a lot of like skinnier skis, dedicated carvers, skinnier all-mountain skis. One that's been surprisingly fun is the Elan Wingman 86 CTI. We have it in the, I think it's a 184 centimeter length. But basically, I've been kind of thinking of it as kind of the a ski that bridges the gap between something like a K2 Disruption or a renowned Atlas 80 dedicated carvers, things I really would not want to ski off-piste. And then more all-mountain, more off-piste focused skis like uh, Armada Declivity 92 Ti or a Solomon Stance 90, but basically the wingman. Really good carver, really energetic. Um, actually, like caught me by surprise at first because um, it's it's not super stiff. It's pretty easy to bend, but produces a ton of energy, which I really like. It's not wildly light. Um, our pair came with uh, plates already installed, but I think the ski is around two thousand grams, so decent suspension and surprisingly pretty good off piece. Um, I like. It's definitely a ski that requires like slightly better technique, more weighting, on weighting of the ski to work it through big bumps relative to something like a Stance 90 or a Declivity, but n- definitely not like something I'm scared to take off piece and again, quite lively, which I like. Um, the other interesting thing is, especially for a ski with that shape, pretty minimally tapered tips and tails, not a ton of rocker, its mount point is around minus eight centimeters from true center, so not super far set back, which is maybe part of why I like it. But all in all, like for a ski, for people who really like to carve, but also spend a fair amount of time in bumps and trees, I think it's it's a pretty solid option. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, random question.
0: I have yet to ski the Armada Declivity 92 or the Elan Wingman. Which ski do you think would be
1: more up my alley? Probably the Declivity. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, unless I, like I think you'd... I think you'd get along with the wingman on piste. I think it's a little bit more traditionally shaped than you'd want as a bum-ski. basically like bum ski. Like if you're spending half your time on yeah. piste, half off. Yeah, I think you'll like the declivity more. But um, yeah, they suit different end goals, but I've been liking both of them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I think
0: that's it for now. Okay. Well, I have been having... A real good time when I wasn't doing an entire groomer day on the Renown 88, a lot of my time recently has been spent kind of doing a a 102 millimeter wide underfoot ski shootout, basically looking at the Fisher Ranger 102 versus the Vocal Mantra 102 versus as of today, the Solomon stance one Oh two. And so have been skiing the Ranger one Oh two and mantra one Oh two on back to back days quite a bit. And, um, I got to say, I was thinking about the fact that I mentioned this. I think it was the end of not this past season, but the year before last day of the year. And I was just like, all right, you know what? This day's for me. I got a whole bunch of skis I could take out what ski do I just feel like skiing today? And I chose the Ranger 102. And then on Christmas day, I was like, you know what? It's Christmas. I'm going to, it's a little present to myself. What do I want to ski? And I chose the Ranger 102 again. I think that says something. Had a blast. We kind of had a big Christmas day, fun friend shred. Everybody was masked up and all that, but uh, it was a really good day. And by the way, I did just ski it on the line. We've been mounting the Ranger a bit forward of the line. And I was curious, like, you know, and I, we were mostly just banging out fast bump laps off of East River, kind of the whole day. And I got along really well with the ski. So I think if you're listening to this and you've kind of been wondering, I think the ski feels really good on the line. And I think going a couple centimeters forward, it also feels good to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think for the people who are like really conflicted about like moving it one centimeter, don't don't. Be conflicted. Yeah, it's 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 got yeah. a big sweet spot. Yeah, that ski is awesome. Yeah, I will admit that. I think. Eric Friesen posted on his Instagram a picture of all you guys yeah. at like the top of paradise or something. And I zoomed in and I was like, oh, Jonathan's on the Ranger 102. He should be skiing something new. <laughs> but I didn't realize it was Christmas Day. So I guess that's okay. Uh, yep. Screw you, Luke. <laughs> and I have been, you know, like
0: I think like I had been putting quite a few days on the Mantra 102. And look, I think the punchline there is the Ranger 102 and Mantra 102 are pretty different skis there should not be many people confused about which is going to better going to be the better choice for them and bottom line i think really strong or really heavy skiers may just prefer that mantra 102 is a more stout ski that ranger just feels like a really nice mix of stability and quickness you know, so two really good skis. I really like both of them, but they're, they're distinct.
1: Yeah. Now I feel like I need an excuse to ski the Ranger 102 again. No, no one needs your one. input.
0: No one needs your input on stuff.
1: You, when I first put out that review, I was the only one who had skied it. And you're like, Luke's crazy. Like, why does he like the ski so much? And then you got to ski it. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. Well, I still think you're
0: crazy. <laughs> even if you got yeah, lucky. For different even, reasons. <laughs> broken clock is right. What? Twice a day? Yeah. See, um, now that brings me to the Solomon stance one Oh two. And this is an interesting ski, a lot of tip rocker and a lot of traditional camber underfoot. And we did what we often do, which is like, we mounted this thing and just went and got on it right away. And I, I, it didn't, it wasn't one of these skis that just instantly clicked with me. I will admit which actually when I skied the Stance 96 and 90, both of those felt pretty point and shoot. Like I just got in, um, okay, this is what the ski kind of likes, totally fine and feel like quickly adapted. I, I didn't adapt all day to this one. And I think my sense is there's a couple things potentially going on. One, I am gonna be pretty curious to play around with the tune of this ski. Um, it did not, It, I mean, especially coming from like a Ranger 102, which feels to me like a bit of a pivot stick and quick. This, um, it could just be an element of how much traditional camber there is underfoot, but the ski certainly doesn't feel loose. Um, the other thing is it felt really, really stiff to me underfoot and nothing wrong with that, but like Even though we have described the Mantra 102 as like a stout ski, I never have skied the Mantra 102 in bumps or on piste and felt like I was working with an incredibly stiff midsection. Yeah. And it's funny, obviously we were skiing today talking about this, but you were saying you felt a little bit of that flex pattern thing, a really stiff kind of midsection on this stance 96.
1: Yeah yeah I felt some it's been a while since I've skied the 96 I've been mostly on the 90 recently. but I think it makes sense when you look at the design like the 96 and the, the 102, the flex hand flexing them they feel quite similar. And the thing is that like they are they're not super burly at the ends, right but that's pretty much just the rockered portions. Yep. And especially in the tip, the way that their tip rocker is it, it rises up pretty quickly mm-hmm. from where it starts. So, you're not often going to be engaging those softer portions and the rest of the ski is quite strong. So, I, I feel like I do remember something like that on the 96 and it almost led to one of my more spectacular crashes last year coming down from East River. There was perfect cord on the right side right before the lift and it was apparently like not really packed down super hard and I tried to carve it really hard and... It basically just stood me up in a turn. It like dug in and stood me up and I was probably doing like forty miles an hour on one foot, like very close to the lift line at that point. But yeah, something that I could see, especially because the stance one oh two has even more tip rocker, um, and you're mostly working with that strong midsection. Um the tail rocker line is much lower, so I feel like you should still be able to engage that softer portion at the end. But yeah, it'll be interesting to keep yeah. skiing it and see what we think. Yeah.
0: But I would at least say if that, if people are listening and are like, okay, well now I'm sort of confused. What I, I think the clearest thing I can say is right now, my sense is that stance one Oh two is I'd say much closer to a mantra one Oh two than like a ranger one Oh two. And right now I would also say that I think, I mean, it, it skied beautifully on piste, um, But we got some figuring out to do and right now I would be encouraging strong and or heavier skiers to be considering or looking at that stance 102 in the same way that we might say that for the the vocal mantra 102. That's kind of where we are so far, but I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to get time on that one. So yeah, Luke, so you were having fun on your intuitive skis today and skiing faster, but I was doing work.
1: Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel better, there was zero visibility on Monday oh, right. and I was running on six hours of sleep in 48 hours and I was on a brand new ski. So I, f- I feel like I kind of went through the same experience.
0: Okay. Um, At least you could see. I could ski. I like to be able to see. That is something about me. Um, I am soon going to be sort of cycling back and putting time again on the Nordica Enforcer 100. We did just get that retuned. And I'm also going to be curious to see if my thoughts on the new Enforcer 100 are still the same on what we've said so far, or if we get a bit of a different personality there. So got a couple of skis. We're going to be playing with the tunes. on.
1: Yeah. A couple would be an understatement. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, But yeah, let's, uh, Let's talk a little bit about this past year. A Couple things we were going to do. We wanted to talk about some of the most surprising products we've been in. What do you got?
1: Um, for me, the one that stood out mostly because I didn't have any experience with the brand prior to this was the majesty super wolf. Um, it's a relatively skinny, fairly lightweight backcountry touring ski. And I just loved it. Um, as we I think I've said before on this podcast, Solomon Mountain Explorer 95 is still kind of our benchmark in that category and after skiing the Super Wolf most of the spring and summer, my general takeaway was that I would be equally happy on both, which is very, very, very high praise. The Super Wolf has a way cooler top sheet, so so I think I'd pick that. Um, But yeah, just like such an intuitive, predictable ski that skis really well for its weight and isn't terrifying once you get it off consistent snow. Um, yeah, just got along really, really well with it.
0: Well, first of all, I agree with all that. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it would probably be the ATK Raider 12 mostly because I just, for the most part, hate tech bindings and love to ski tour. Well, I like, I like them uphill. I love tech bindings uphill. Um, I love going downhill, not in pins, and was very just overall impressed with the performance of that ATK Raider 12. By the way, we did just get a question on the site. Somebody, I think, was asking, I think, about like the ATK Raider 12 versus like a DinaFit rotation, and the question was like, I know these are different weight classes, but do you think the ATK Raider 12 would be fine for like sending it in East coast conditions. And my response was going to mostly just be like, no, what are you doing? Have you listened to any, am I pigeonholing things here?
1: Well, I think it mostly comes down to like sending it and hitting errors to one person means a very different thing to another person. The main, like I, I saw that question, main takeaway for me is that like, The Raider 12 weighs almost half as much as a Rotation 12. Yeah. And I think it skis better. Me too. And while I would never choose it as my binding if I was like skiing like I do in the resort. Yeah. I wouldn't choose any tech binding for that. Amen. If I'm like, like airs for me in the backcountry, well, usually it means like building a jump, in which case I'm going to bring like a Duke PT or something because I want it to release nicely. But if it just means like like popping off like a ten foot pillow into relatively soft snow, I'd I'd do that on the Raider twelve. But I'm not gonna be launching big airs onto hard pack with it. Right. Or any tech binding.
0: Or small errors to hard pack. Just don't do that. Just don't do that. Yeah. Why are you still smiling right now?
1: No, I, I just like there are yeah, there are people who do that. And I think if it's if it's just something like like, not everyone skis the same all the time. So, like, if, if 90% of the time you're just cruising, skiing relatively conservatively, and every once in a while when the conditions align, you want to hit some air, I think that's fine. Like, if it was my binding, I wouldn't worry about it that much. Um, but, yeah, if, if, if I'm setting up a touring setup that <clears throat> that I'm often going to be using to jump and spin and flip... Uh, Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna pick a a shift, a cast, a Duke PT, something like that.
0: Unless you're Hoji, the there's an an asterisk. (laughs) We have the Hoji asterisk. Hoji, you can do anything you want at any time on any binding you want, always. But but you're not Hoji. Everyone else listening to this, so don't worry about it. But there is the Hoji rule. Yeah. (laughs)
1: What else you got? Well, yeah, regarding the Raider twelve. I would say it wouldn't really fall into most surprising for me because I skied the previous Raider 12 and it was really, really good. I think the surprising part to me was that they made it better, which was a lot to ask for that binding. Um, Whereas I didn't ski <clears throat>
0: the first one because mm-hmm. I refused to ski tech bindings whenever I can avoid them. Yeah. And then you guys were singing its praises so much then I did finally get on it and was like,
1: oh. Yeah, and we're about to ski the Moment Voyager, yep. which is... Essentially, a tweaked ATK free raider fourteen with the free ride spacer. Yep, should be getting that mounted very shortly, and very much looking forward to that one. Yep. Um, as for other surprising products, kind of similar thing with Majesty. I had never skied a white dot ski prior to last year, and I loved the Ultim one hundred four and the Ultim one fourteen. They just really work well for me personally. They're fairly light, ski well for their weight. They have a lot of rocker, but it's, uh, it's pretty low slung to the point where you can engage most of the ski when you carve it hard and they do carve really well. They have a twin tip. They have a mount point around minus six, basically check all the boxes for me and just had a great time skiing. them. I think the last day the, the lifts were running last year. I was on the Altium 114, a being it against the, the last year's moment wildcat and just like. A pretty ideal last day. Like, I think it had snowed like three inches, but it was enough to try and fail a lot of threes um, that day. But it was a blast.
0: Nice. I think the last thing I want to bring up as just most surprising was actually the Star M Free 108. The biggest thing is we, I think all of us, were just really surprised how loose that ski feels. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't see that coming. And, you know, I really like the shape of that ski, the dimensions, you know, and the like, but man, that thing is loose. And I think some people, it's gonna, like, I could see how for some people, they're gonna be like, this is by far my favorite 108 millimeter wide ski, like in that width category. But I think for other people who are maybe used to you know, more of a coachies or something. It just feels w- surprisingly different. Yeah, uh, would be the right word here. So yeah. anyway, I think yeah, that we're, was
1: we're hoping to get on the one ninety two. It's because we skied the one eighty two, which yeah. and I mostly just wish they would make a freaking one eighty seven or something. Yes, because deer, deer it's, ski it's, a, it's not light, and it measures like if straight tape length. It measures pretty true to length. So like the one ninety two is going to be a big ski, but. We shall see.
0: Yep. Standout products. We want to talk about a few of those.
1: Yeah. So I last year there weren't like there weren't a ton of products that like when I think of skiing last year I think of certain skis, but the K2 Reckoner 102 was probably that ski for me. It's I've talked about it a bunch now. It's just so so playful and for being so light and soft, the the thing I keep thinking about is I just think every element of its design works really well with the other elements. It just feels cohesive as a product to the point where I like, I could ski it way harder than I think I should be able to on a light, soft, pretty center mounted ski. Um, so that was the one that just like really stood out as offering a unique ride to the point where I really remembered each day on it.
0: Mine, we've already talked about it. So this will be the shortest answer I ever give. Um, vocal mantra 102 really good really interesting well done not for everybody but for the people who would be into it it's a very well executed i want to say machine that doesn't really work it's a well executed machine luke
1: all right (laughs) okay well i need to talk about apparel um the strafe sham kit is my now my favorite backcountry touring outerwear kit I wore it for a what turned out to be, I think, a eleven hour day in on Memorial Day weekend. So not cold. Kept it on the entire time from three a.m. to about I think we finished like two or three p.m. And it's just like the breathability is fantastic for a three layer shell. It's fended off all the water I've been able to get it in. Um, and the feature set I think is basically perfect for what i want i like that it's not super skinny overall just love that kit and then i have to t- talk about an anorak uh the mentioned, mentioned this one before but the houdini shelter it's not like it's not like the sham where it stands out for its performance traits but it is a it's extremely comfortable it is waterproof it is fairly breathable but mostly it's just a beautiful garment it just looks so good and it's not really a ski shell, but I've still been wearing it a lot. And it lets me do an all black kit this year, which is pretty cool. And it looks really good off the mountain. And I just want to give props to the designers at Houdini because it's just gorgeous.
0: Great job, designers at Houdini. You, you almost
1: made a really good jacket. You were so close. They make a zip up version, which is also pretty good.
0: How come you don't spend all your time talking about that? Like the, Cause it doesn't look as cool And Sam has this it This is like being like I want the car that only has two wheels That's
1: not at all
0: It's just like it's that It's like no
1: Yeah it's just like Putting on a jacket is not challenging <sighs> Someday ladies
0: and gentlemen Maybe in 2021 There's gonna be a gear 30 Where it's gonna start by Luke saying like You know I was thinking about it last night And I finally realized I've come to my senses
1: Anoraks are stupid I've said they're stupid before. I've never argued that they're functionally better than a full zip jacket, but unless like I separate my shoulder and I can no longer like raise my arms above my head, I'm still gonna love them. Again, I
0: apologize, you know, for Luke, everyone. Um, But you know, Luke liking Anoraks, not the worst thing that happened in 2020. So we at least have that going for us. They also now make a pink one. Okay. Okay. Well, that's it. I hate that we are wrapping up our standout product talk with a dumb anorak, but I think that's what just happened here. Yep. Okay. Predictions. (laughs) Given that we just came through quite a surprising year, it feels, I don't know, cocky or something, arrogant to offer... Some predictions here for 2021, but I don't think we have anything that's where we're going out on a limb in a big way. So, and we're talking gear predictions here. Uh,
1: so, um, what do we? What do you got? This I'm not at all confident about it, but I think we might see more innovation or new products on the 50/50 ski boot side. Um, we've seen a lot of new touring boot, like dedicated touring yeah. boots, recently. We haven't seen a ton of changes to the 50-50 category, that heavier category. But given how many people are buying a shift or the cast system or Duke PT, skiing it mostly bounds, but every once in a while, skiing uphill. It just, it feels like it would make sense for companies to realize that and invest a bit more into that. Skis almost like an Alpine boot but can walk uphill. Okay. Category. So we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Probably wrong. I wouldn't be willing to bet on that. Yeah. But I think you're right that
0: it's like, well, if we're surveying the landscape, um, it wouldn't shock me, but I'm not predicting it. But don't you think if we do see new products in this category coming out, they're still going to be lighter yeah i would be
1: surprised if if like a company came out with a heavier version of a previous 50 50 boot but like like that lang xt3 it used to be a 50 50 like mostly about inbounds inbounds boot it was heavy did not walk very well yeah but like paul ford said he's like it skis really close to an rx um and not the xt3 no the old xt3 that's right now the xt3 a lot lighter I'm sure it doesn't ski exactly like an RX, but it seems like you were saying like it is a better option for doing some inbounds lap versus something like an atomic Hawks XTD, a Technica zero G. So maybe, maybe we'll see companies manage to maintain the performance they've been getting with like 1900, 2000 gram boots, dropping the weight a bit, but still, still separating them from those more dedicated lightweight touring boots. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And in fact, I think what what we've seen, in fact, is we've just seen people taking the quote unquote dedicated boot and then just skiing those. And so we're seeing zero G tour pros yeah. in the resort and we're seeing, I mean, admittedly, I think Atomic kind of did position the Hawks XTD as like ski it everywhere.
1: Yeah. The, f- the first version. No, this one, it's gotten got a more substantial liner. Yeah. It's not the worst thing in the world, but yeah. Be so, interesting.
0: I'm not making that, pre- I'm not predicting it with you, but I think, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a bit more of a push in that direction. Yeah. My prediction actually still about boots. I think we are definitely going to continue to see ski boots get more and more customizable, mm-hmm. whether that's through heat moldable shells or, injecting stuff into the liners and heat moldable liners and the rest. And I mean, honestly, I feel like that's not a dumb area for companies to be like seeing if we can continue to try to get those two ends of the spectrum, right? A comfortable boot that also performs really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Like, I think Matt Manzar at Atomic was talking about how like out of the box fit is one of the, the most important factors they think about because you don't want to put a boot on and it hurts already. Yeah. And then you're like, the booters is like, well, like it could work if we spend four hours working on it. And a lot of people understandably don't want to go through that. Yeah. So yeah, having more easily customizable traits of a boot makes a lot of sense. and. I feel like, I mean, we've, we've been seeing that for like the past few years, more and more companies are saying that like their, their full shell is heat moldable, their liners are heat moldable. So I think, I think it's a good area to improve upon, especially since I'm currently trying to make some boots work and it's a very painful and frustrating experience. Um, So yeah, mostly I just, again, want companies to make me a custom shell. I've heard that's really cheap to develop a new mold. The Lucapa mold? Yeah. No one else will fit in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: that's probably, that's probably happening. It could be a boot that like only has two buckles on the top cuff. It's kind of Anorak style. They just quit. They just yeah. quit and go on vacation early. better
1: look sweet. <laughs>
0: It'd be sick. Um, yeah. So that's what we got. We think, and and, I mean, which is to say, we've been talking about, we are guessing and predicting that we're going to see some movement continuing in the boot world. So what we have not said is that we expect these big evolutions or revolutions in the ski world. I really don't. I think right now, I think the one good thing maybe about the year of Ellsworth was this I think companies recognizing that merely going lighter on skis does not, duh, get you great performance characteristics all the time. So hopefully we will continue to see a smart use of weight um, in inbound skis. And again, I think we're seeing, I think to give companies props, we have seen a lot of lighter weight skis, That are performing better than they were five years ago 10 years ago so we're we're definitely seeing nice advancements um on the lighter weight gear for touring but i just don't expect for this you know a year from now that we'll be like oh my god all these ski designs are so wildly different and i and i'm not calling for that it's like good job ski companies you guys are as a collective i think we're we're operating in a pretty sensible space right now
1: yeah it feels like over the past decade or two like we've seen the pen like shape skis first came out yeah and then super tapered skis came out and then that kind of balanced out and then we saw really light skis that were marketed for inbounds use and now that seems to be balancing out and mostly i just i really like the variety on the market and companies are figuring out like if they're gonna make a light ski like there's good and bad ways to do it yeah. if they're gonna make a heavy ski there's good and bad ways to do it so yeah i mean <laughs> it's it's like kind of depressing to think about the fact that like ski shapes rocker profiles flex patterns constructions we're not seeing like there's only so much you can change radically and like but the good news is that like by figuring out all those things, you end up with some really, really good skis. Yep. And maybe it won't it won't be as exciting as like when the first JJ came out or something like that, but the result I think is better overall. A hundred percent. And I
0: I do not lament the past world where it was like one out of ten skis is like, well, this is the worst thing I've ever yeah. been on and it's terrifying. I mean again, I think I think here the wine analogy is a really good one. It's like, there's still going to be a ton of varietals out there. It's just that if we can get, it's like, what type of ski are you trying to build right now? And then, oh, okay, cool. Now don't build a dumbass one of those. And I hopefully we just see more companies, you know, rolling strikes, regardless of what type of ski they are setting out to make. And then obviously our job is to keep, locating all of this stuff but yeah if we could avoid the like terrible bottle of wine like one out of every 10 i'm not going to be mad about that at all
1: i think i'll add one prediction that i feel pretty confident about is that we'll see more specific to ski manufacturers focusing on and i'm guessing emphasizing in their marketing copy sustainability and their construction oh for sure um which i mean like it makes sense it's, it's gonna happen and my hope is just that it happens in a meaningful way yeah. and not just a greenwashing way. Yeah. But like really excited about what the guys at Wonder are doing. Yeah. And like we've seen big companies like Rossignol emphasizing that all of their wood cores are now PEFC certified, stuff like that. Um, so hopefully that continues to go from just marketing st- or like borderline just marketing stuff to more uh, substantial ways to slightly decrease the environmental impact of skis because i feel like in the past it was an afterthought like total afterthought. Yeah. so at that's the very great, least people are thinking about it
0: that's a great point and and that's how like innovation actually works right it's like hey congratulations shapes and flex patterns and weight we've got a pretty good collective handle on that So we don't need to reinvent that wheel wildly. And I I think the companies that really can figure out how to do things now on on some other verticals like sustainability, it's not about coming up with some insane new rocker profile. It's coming up with the insane new, more sustainable construction. And that will be news. And like you say, I mean, it needs to be meaningful and not merely marketing speak but i i think you're right that that is where we are likely to see i think more meaningful innovation of the next 2 to 5 years than like if we you know in 5 years if we play back this conversation i don't think we're going to be like can you believe we totally didn't have the creativity to imagine the the new swallow tailed tip skis <laughs> like yeah. That'd be fun though. I'd just ski behind you, mow you down, shove that right into the back of your calf. Yeah. You'd get blood all over your pink anorak and I'd be like, screw you. I just ski switch the whole time.
1: So I could <laughs> defend myself. <laughs>
0: anyway, I like that vision of me stabbing you in the calf with my swallow tail tip ski and then blood all over your pink anorak. I'm glad we could end the year.
1: Well, once we get the uh, season forma. I'm going to ski switch switching to you with it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't even have that idea before, but now oh shit. I do. Uh,
0: well, it's time to end this episode with our what we're celebrating segment. I just have one real clear thing, I guess, for this year. I'm sad to say that I'm very much prepared to celebrate the end of the year of Ellsworth. Uh, I'm sorry, everybody. I, I didn't mean it. I am glad that ski weights are being reined in and we're not seeing as much ski taper on stuff. But if I opened up Pandora's box with that statement, I just want to apologize to
1: everyone. Yeah, I think, yeah, you need to. Okay. Did you have anything else? I'm just glad to be skiing. Yeah. Like in the grand, like 2020 has had a lot of not great parts of it to say the least. But the fact that, lifts and ski resorts and mountain towns have so far been able to figure out a way to make skiing happen. And so far it seems to be pretty successfully and safely happening. I'm just extraordinarily grateful for that. And will you will never catch me complaining about wearing a mask or the lift lines being too long or making a reservation. Like we're skiing and that's something to be super thankful.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I guess we have to say you know, shout out to our friends in Europe where I'm not sure that that's the situation currently, but, um, it is certainly, we can, we can only speak for, well, certainly our first hand experiences here in Crested Butte, but it's working out really well and shout out to the folks running reservations and the chairlifts and everything else. And largely we're seeing people be in compliance, you know, like we're not seeing issues. And I'm like, I totally agree with you. I will happily deal with all these tiny, tiny little extra steps. And the reports I'm hearing from other places around the country is that it's going well there too. So <laughs> it's probably time for us to get an update soon from yeah, the folks let's... in Europe. I'm not sure why we're not able to tell the same story there at the moment, but um,
1: here's yeah, just know that we're not, not taking it for granted at all, not
0: taking it for granted at all. Um, well hey man, another year. Wow. Quite the quite the year. I think we've got some things to be excited about for 2021. Part of that is some of the lessons I hope we've learned from 2020 and we're still working to implement some of those lessons and we're still bringing about some new initiatives around here. We've got this Blister Summit that we are moving forward with and the initial responses to that have been exceptional and we are working very hard to bring this about in a very responsible way and we're committed to doing that and um, it's going to be an interesting year that I am certain of.
1: Yeah. And we're already starting to hear about products for the 21-22 season. Yeah. There are some exciting ones. Yep. makes my brain hurt thinking about next year, but... (laughs) Um, yeah, we'll be saying more about that stuff in the coming months. Yeah. Well, Hey,
0: thanks. Another year of gear 30 banked. And, uh, now we just need to not have a meteor take us out before.
1: Now that you said that it's going to
0: happen. I know. So if, if you're hearing this and there was a meteor strike, I'm going to apologize. I'll start the new year. I'll end this year with an apology for the year of Ellsworth and I will, we can all begin 2021 within my new apology for the meteor strike oh god i should just stop talking now so i'm going to do that and uh yeah luke see you soon everybody else take care we hope that by the time you've heard this you've had a terrific new year's bye bye and that my friends brings us to the end of our first episode of gear 30 for 2021 And if you are enjoying these conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and leave us that five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about Gear 30 so they can hear me threaten to run, swallow, tail tips through the back of Luke's calves. Who would want to miss that? Uh, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. Happy New Year's, everybody.